All right, guys, welcome in to today's episode of the Lockdown SEC Podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. I am your host, Blake Lovell, and a lot to get into on today's show. And as I sort of teased, uh, this is not uh, our usual Monday format. Uh, normally, we'll look back a couple segments uh, for the games from the weekend and uh, take a look at the weekly SEC basketball power rankings. However, uh, we're going to scrap that format for this episode. And uh, I think, as you can probably tell from the title, it's because uh, there's a lot to talk about, not just with the games, which we're going to get into here shortly, uh, but also with the state of SEC basketball officiating. It's been a hot topic over the past week, and uh, we're actually going to talk about that for quite a bit on today's show. But first, uh, let's run through uh, Saturday's games uh, and start with Auburn getting a 73-66 to victory against Tennessee. Uh, it was a game that was sort of a, a tale of two halves, really, uh, where Tennessee at one point uh, got a big lead you know, in the first half and then ultimately pushed it out to 17 in the second half with around 14 minutes left. Uh, but it was Auburn rallying, and uh, I thought it was something that was very impressive comeback for the Tigers uh, who, you know, just made big plays. And I thought their defense got better as that game went along. Um, and Tennessee, to their credit, you know, they, they played really well in the first half with John Fulkerson on the bench for the majority of the half. Um, and, you know, to be in that spot going into the second half where they, they sort of made their run, uh, you really thought that the Vols were in a really good position to, to get a win and would have catapulted them right back into the NCAA tournament conversation. But uh, Samir Dowdy gave the Auburn team a spark that they needed here. Uh, he made big play after big play, but also – you know, something I mentioned afterwards, I thought the bench was really important here. You had Devin Cambridge, uh, Jalen Williams, Anthony McLemore, all these different guys that, that made big plays uh, for the Tigers throughout that game and really down the stretch. And so that was a big boost uh, for Bruce Pearl's team. And like I said, I thought they did defend better uh, as well in that second half or really in that stretch that, that allowed them to make that big comeback and ultimately win this game by seven. Uh, anyway, you slice it, it's a huge win without Isaac Okoro on the floor and especially uh, having to come back like they did in that game. But Auburn, you know, one they needed here. And <laughs> we had been talking about that, you know, their struggles on the road coming back to Auburn Arena. This is one they had to have uh, to get their confidence back. And there's no doubt uh, Bruce Pearl with a very uh, motivational halftime speech, as you heard him talk about uh, after the game, that really uh, sort of gave this Tigers team uh, a boost here as they uh, picked up a really nice victory. Uh, Arkansas, another team that picked up a nice victory, 78-68 over Missouri. Uh, the Hogs are simply a better team with Isaiah Joe on the court. We know that, and uh, the proof was in the pudding here because Isaiah Joe did make his return and uh, was able to help Arkansas snap their five-game losing streak. And really, they got the balance they needed scoring-wise. Yes, Isaiah Joe led the way, uh, but they got a lot of balance here, and that's what this Arkansas team is capable of when they get that scoring on offense where you're just not relying on one guy like they had to a lot of the time with Mason Jones. Um, and now, you know, getting someone like Isaiah Joe back, that takes the pressure off of, of Mason Jones and other guys uh, to be able to to not just have the defense key in on them because there's a lot of talented people you have to, you know, be able to guard now on this roster. And so um, that was a big help here. And, uh, you know, they made 12 three-pointers. That was also a big help. Um, and, you know, there were a lot less fouls and, and free throws in this game, which is a, a big positive, I think, for me. And we'll get more into that a little bit later on uh, when you consider that there were 73 free throw attempts in the previous meeting between these two. You know, Arkansas not yet uh, on Joe Lenardi's, you know, back in his next four-out group, but uh, you have to believe 
that this is at least a step in the right direction, and it's going to take a lot more wins. You know, this isn't one that's just going to put them right back in the mix and they can afford, you know, to lose two games or something the rest of the way. They're going to have to keep winning, uh, but it's clear with Isaiah Joe back on the court uh, looking like himself again, they're going to have the opportunities to win, and uh, that could very well put Arkansas right there in that spot uh, with several other SEC teams as we head into uh, the the SEC tournament here in a couple weeks, having a chance uh, to play their way into the NCAA tournament. Uh, Texas A&M, 87. Mississippi State, 75. Uh, this was one that certainly, if you listen to the uh, preview episode, I thought this was going to be a lower-scoring game. I also thought it was a game that Mississippi State would be able to come out and, and maybe just sort of grind out a victory. That didn't happen either one of them, and uh, I'm perfectly fine to admit when I'm wrong because – uh, the Aggies look really good here. I mean, they scored 87 points, um, but I mean, it was it was a game that was all about offense. And you look at Texas A&M's numbers; they were very efficient from the floor. You know, they shot 62.9 percent from two-point range, 52.9 percent from three-point range. Their three-point shooting has just been outstanding here the past couple of games. Um, and, and you know, they hand Mississippi State a loss that really the, the Bulldogs they're still right there. I think when you look at Lenardi's newest update uh, on Sunday. Mississippi State was still in the first four out. I think they were the fourth team out. Um, but, you know, it, it's still a spot where they really needed to win, and they probably would have been in a spot where, you know, they could have played their way into the tournament as of right now. Uh, but to lose this game, now Mississippi State, you know, has much less margin for error as they move forward here. And so it's a great win for the Aggies because this team has played so well, and we've talked a lot about that. Buzz Williams right now is probably your SEC coach of the year. Uh, if the voting, you know, happened right now, uh, it doesn't. But if it did, uh, I think he would he would be the choice because of how much better this team has gotten. And as some people have noted, yes, you know, if they lose their last four games, which when you look at their schedule is a real possibility because they have a really tough schedule here in the next couple of weeks. Um, you know, if they lose their their last four and finish eight and ten, he's probably not going to get SEC coach of the year. But if you just look at teams. You know, the way they were back when the season started to where they are now, uh, there's no doubt that Buzz Williams is certainly in that conversation for SEC Coach of the Year, uh, especially if they can, you know, if they win a couple of these games here uh, that are going to be really challenging, then there's no doubt. I think he probably has a really good chance to win it. Uh, But, uh, you know, you can make the conversation for several other guys as well. Aggie's playing really well, uh, though, right now. Kentucky gets a 65 59 win over Florida. Uh, Gators nearly came back to win that game. And uh, I know Kentucky probably not too happy about the way they've closed some of these recent games with the Florida one and the LSU one uh, where, you know, teams had a chance to sort of come back down the stretch and have opportunities. But, um, you know, the story here was Emmanuel quickly. You can, anything else you look at, there's no doubt that, that he was the story of this game. Uh, once again, you know, a great performance. He scores a career-high 26 points. And when you look at the overall numbers, uh, you know, he's had 17 or more points in seven straight games. 11 or more points in 15 straight games. He's just been fantastic. And that's why we mentioned on the preview that, you know, he could certainly be someone that's in the SEC Player of the Year conversation at this point. He's playing on the best team. Uh, He's emerged as, quite frankly, you can either say he's the best player, 1A and 1B, with him and Nick Richards. uh, But but Emmanuel quickly affects the game as much as anyone. And he's proven that uh, here throughout this stretch. And so he's just, he is, he has become quite a player and uh, he is. I mean, he's someone that, that would probably get a lot of SEC Player of the Year type of votes uh, if the voting happened, you know, as of right now, uh, because he's just 
been so good, and uh, he's making Florida go, or he's making Kentucky go. And uh, if he keeps doing that, if he keeps playing this way, uh, man, the the Wildcats are, are starting to figure some things out. Like we said, aside from maybe the these last stretches in games where they're allowing teams to have an opportunity to to make plays to at least make it interesting. Um, you know, aside from that, though, I think Emmanuel quickly is the story for the Wildcats right now. Just uh, has emerged as one of the best players in the SEC. Georgia, 80, Vanderbilt, 78. Uh, you know, the, the problem here is, and again, uh, we're going to be talking about this game specifically here in just a bit. Um, but, you know, the problem is that I thought this was one of the most entertaining games on Saturday in the SEC. If you watch this game, which I know a lot of people, you know, there are three games going on at one time. You had Kentucky, Florida. We'll get to LSU, South Carolina in a second. Uh, but this game was just pure entertainment. I mean, both teams shot it well. Um, it was great sort of flow, great offense. Um, but yet, you know, the one thing we're talking about, aside from the fact that Tyree Crump hits a just a huge jump shot uh, to give Georgia the win at the buzzer, Vanderbilt led 78-77. Uh, Tyree Crump takes it down uh, probably about halfway from the three-point line to half court, uh, pulls up, hits a huge jump shot and uh, gets the buzzer-beating win uh, to give the Bulldogs the victory. Um, And you have to give him credit for that because that was a heck of a shot. But at the same time, you know, we're talking about the officiating and and that's something that's sort of glaring for anyone who watched this game. Uh, Vanderbilt did have its opportunity. Scottie Pippen Jr. missed a couple of free throws. I know Saban Lee uh, missed the front end of one uh, as well. But speaking of Saban Lee, I mean, he had just an, uh, an unbelievable type of performance. He was just incredible in this game. Uh, his best performance in a Vanderbilt uniform. And uh, that that's what makes it so interesting that we're not really focusing in on this specifically in terms of how some of these guys play in this game, but rather a couple of the calls down the stretch that are being talked about a lot, and uh, we'll get into them here in a second. Big win for Georgia, uh, just a an unlucky sort of bounce for Vanderbilt yet again for a team that's really had a lot of bad luck uh, here over the past couple of years, and this was just another example uh, of a team just not getting any breaks and having an opportunity uh, to lose a game like this, uh, and that's what happened with Tyree Crump uh, hitting a big shot. Uh, LSU 86, South Carolina 80. Uh, the Tigers needed that one. We talked about that. Um, it was one that they, they really needed in terms of confidence. I mean, this was a team that seemed to be reeling. Uh, I think they were down to a number eight seed in Lenardi's bracket heading into the game. Um, so they really needed that win, and they got it. That's a good road win, you know, to grind out a win like that uh, in a game that, that featured a lot of free throws, <laughs> but uh, nothing surprising there. Uh, LSU nearly had three players with double-doubles. Uh, Trenton Watford had one, but Skylar Mays and Darius Days uh, both were very close, so uh, that would have been quite a stat to have three players with double-doubles. Uh, but uh, you have to give those guys credit for stepping up because Will Wade challenged them, and, you know, their defense is something that – has been a common theme that we talked about a lot. Um, and while they still gave up 80 points, it's it's a situation where to win any game on the road in the SEC is a positive. Uh, any way you slice it, it's it's a positive to win on the road, and and that's what LSU did here. And they were in a spot where they had to win a game and you know lose this game, and all of a sudden your confidence is completely shot uh, as if it wasn't already. And so uh, it's a big win for Will Wade's group. Uh, Gamecocks did get 20 offensive rebounds in this game, but uh, just not enough here as uh, LSU goes on the road and gets a quality victory. And Alabama, 103, Ole Miss, 78. Uh, an SEC team goes on the road. Speaking of road wins, 
and scores 100 points, but yet the most glaring thing that everyone is talking about, uh, aside from probably Alabama fans, and even Alabama fans are talking about it, uh, was sort of how the game played out from an officiating standpoint. Kermit Davis got a technical early in the game. Uh, eventually, Nate Oates got a technical. Uh, Brian Tyree got a technical after that, which led to Kermit Davis getting another technical, which led to his ejection. Uh, that all happened in a span of, I think it was around 20-something seconds, uh, aside from the, the Kermit Davis technical early in the game. Uh, so it's just one of those where it was another game where you look at it and it would be great for everyone to just be talking about how pre- impressive an important performance that was for Alabama uh, in terms of scoring 103 points on the road. The focus really should be on the fact that Alabama, you know, they made shots from outside, but they also attacked. And that's something we said was going to be a key for them in this game um, is, you know, when they're attacking and scoring at the rim and just being that aggressive type of team that's not just settling for three pointers. They can be really hard to stop, and we saw that here. Uh, they played the type of game they needed to play to win, and uh, a huge win for the Crimson Tide, who are right back there in that discussion. They're in that next four-out group in Lenardi's latest bracket. So uh, another SEC team, along with South Carolina as well, who stayed there despite the loss to LSU. So you've got you know four teams basically in that mix right now uh, among those next probably 10 teams out of the field. I'd say Arkansas is pretty close still at this point. So uh, that shows you where Alabama's at, all the rest of them are at. And we'll talk more about that uh, on Tuesday's episode of the podcast. But coming up, uh, we're going to dive into the state of SEC basketball officiating. It's been something that has been talked about a lot this week. Uh, I put out some stats earlier in the week on the SEC fouling and free throw, and that sort of led uh, to more discussion. And then we had sort of Saturday's uh, events play out the way they did uh, in some of these games, and yet it continues to be a topic of discussion. And we'll dive into that next right here on the Locked On SEC Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. And we jump into the state of SEC basketball officiating. And this is something that I never really thought we'd discuss on this podcast. Um, I never expected to to be making this a multi-segment uh, deal here on the Locked On SEC podcast, but we are because I think it's something now that's being talked about so much uh, that we really have to, to talk about it. I mean, it is. It's something that I think has to be addressed, and uh, we'll certainly you know discuss the reasons why that is. And I think for anyone you know who's watched the SEC, it's been a you've heard people be upset about officiating for years. I mean, this isn't a new thing. Um, but I, I think the the one thing that does stand out to me is, you know, there are fans who may watch their favorite team and they may watch a random game here or there, um, and others, you know, may be like me, someone who seeks out all of these games, uh, not just for one team or two teams or whatever. It's literally every single game uh, that you try to seek out and watch. Uh, in one league or just you know and I I know I mean some people don't care about other teams and watching them play Uh, they just want to watch their favorite team and that's fine but I think for me someone who looks at it takes a step back and watches all these games in an attempt to have a better understanding of what's going on in the league that I cover uh, it becomes more glaring and I think that's what we've seen here throughout this season is that it's it's become more and more of something that is is noticeable and that I think is part of the problem referees have a tough job I'll tell you I I tried it right out of college I I tried to get into refereeing 
I refereed high school games, middle school games. Um, you know, it was it was tough. Like it was not easy at all. And anybody who's ever refereed will tell you uh, it's not an easy job. Period. It's a thankless job. Uh, there, you know, you're very rarely are you going to have an entire flock of people come up to you after the game and tell you, "Hey, that was such a great game that you called." More often, you're probably going to have a lot of people come up to you and tell you, "Hey, that was a terrible game that you called." Um, but it is. It's a very tough job, and referees are never going to get every single call right. Expecting that to happen is simply not realistic. So if you're someone who expects them to get everything right, it's not going to happen, especially in a league like the SEC where the game is played at such a high level between talents that you know are a lot of potential talents to have a chance to go to the NBA and play at the next level. Uh, making those split-second calls are not easy to do. However, here's the issue. The issue in the SEC right now is the consistency of the calls. Uh, and that is the point I think that has become the most glaring. It's the consistency of what is a call at you know 12 and a half minutes left in the first half and what is a call at eight and a half minutes left in the second half. And I think that's where we're seeing a lot of frustrations. Um, and you add in the fact that there's often a lack of accountability in terms of some of these calls that, that are also out there um, that you don't necessarily you know, see any accountability for, even if they are so obviously incorrect. And I know a lot of people have said, yes, I know bad officiating happens in a lot of conferences. And I know there's a lot of calls throughout college basketball this year you can look at and say, well, obviously that's the incorrect call. Or, or obviously fans in other conferences are upset and everyone is on the same level here that that's fine to point out but it also doesn't excuse the fact that you know if there are problems if there are things being called incorrect um, it's not just an excuse to say well because it's that way everywhere we just have to accept that it is what it is and just go on about our business I don't think that's the the point here um, and when you also factor in this look these referees are not just SEC referees I think you have to keep that in mind um, these are guys who work multiple leagues um, they aren't SEC officials by definition although they do work a lot of SEC games so that for for fans or just assuming you know these are SEC officials only they're not but yet we understand. I mean, they, if they're calling SEC games at that point, they are SEC officials. Um, but we do have to make that part of it clear. We've talked a lot about how far the SEC has come over the years from a, a league that was getting, you know, three teams into the tournament. And yes, I know that's a possibility. They could only get three or four in this year. Uh, but I think anyone who watched the SEC maybe several years ago, uh, before we really started to see the league hit its stride, put in a record amount of, of ter- teams in the NCAA tournament, uh, the, the talent roster, the coaching roster, I keep saying with the coaching roster, I don't think it's ever been better from top to bottom in terms of the the pedigree, uh, the credentials of the coaches that are in the conference right now, I don't think it's ever been as good as it is right now. And the same, you know, you look at the talent and you see all these, look at the recruiting ratings and star ratings. Even if you don't buy into what a five-star is, a four-star, a three-star, whatever, um, you know, if you just grade it purely on talent, there's no doubt that the SEC is one of the most talented basketball conferences in the country. And the product itself, when you add those two things with the talent and the coaching, uh, is better. It's much better. Uh, but it's being held back, I think, by that lack of accountability uh, because of the fact that there are so many people that think that SEC basketball is unwatchable. And I think that is a problem if you're someone trying to put together, you know, what is the best possible image we can present 
as a conference in basketball. Um, there are so many people out there that think that this conference at this point is unwatchable. And, and it's not just me saying that because I'm going to watch no matter what. I mean, I have to. That's part of what I do. It's what I enjoy as someone who covers SEC basketball and other SEC sports. Is I'm going to watch these games. And you hear it from, from other people. It's not just me. You know, media members who also look at some of these games and think, how could you possibly watch this game as a fan and look at it and say, this is what basketball should be in a conference that has this kind of talent and this kind of coaching. That's led to, you know, people saying all over social media. I mean, you can you can look. Anyone who's on social media knows. You see this so much that, you know, you see so many things about and people will say it. They respond to certain tweets that I have. You know, SEC basketball, it's unwatchable. Um, I saw that a lot in some of the, the free throw stats and stuff that I put out. Uh, and that there's, you know, no flow to any games. The games are lasting longer. We're having some games go close to two and a half hours, uh, even if it's just a regulation game. That's not even overtime. Um, you know, you're having games get longer and longer. And I don't think that's what people are wanting to see. And it's not always about, you know, what people want to see. I get that. Uh, but at the same time, you have to have some sort of awareness of what's going on, I think, in the league. And that led to one of the big things when we talk about, you know, games being longer, um, you know, flow being interrupted in terms of the on-court play. I put out the stats this week on Twitter, and I know a lot of people sort of ran with them in terms of of having their own interpretation of what they mean. And that's why I think it's important to realize everyone can have a different interpretation of what some of these stats mean. Their stats don't always tell the story. And I say that up front, and I said that up front in this one, because, you know, the SEC is not a great three-point shooting league. Conferences have different playing styles. But yet, when you look at the numbers, if you look at the number of teams in the SEC entering this past weekend – uh, averaging 18 or more fouls per game. There were 10 of the 14 teams in the SEC that were averaging 18 or more fouls per game. The next closest conference was the American at six. Now, if you want to compare it to some of the other teams, the Big 12 had three teams averaging at least 18 fouls. The ACC had two of their teams averaging at least 18 at least 18 fouls. The Big 10 had zero. Ten teams in the SEC averaging at least 18 fouls. The Big 10, zero teams averaging at least 18 fouls entering the weekend's games. Take it a step further, the number of teams averaging 19.7 or more free throw attempts per game. In the SEC, entering Saturday's games, 14 of 14 teams were all averaging 19.7 or more free throw attempts per game. Next closest again was the American at eight. Uh, More comparables here, you know, the ACC with five teams, Big 10 with four, Big 12 with three. But the SEC, every single team, averaging at least 19.7 or more free throw attempts per game. And that was by a wide margin more, almost half more than the next closest conference. And so that's where I think you start to look at this and say, okay, you can look at it a couple different ways. Is the SEC just a terrible defensive conference? Uh, I have trouble buying into that narrative. And I've had that narrative pushed on me since I put some of these stats out. As Some people have suggested, well, you know, the SEC just is terrible at defense. I completely agree that there are some teams that foul more than others. And I think you point out some of the situations with Missouri, which we've had fun with some of those stats in terms of if you looked at the last 10 games before this weekend's game between Missouri and Arkansas, the last 10 games for Missouri, there was on average close to 60 free throws shot in their last 10 games. I get it. Missouri is a team that tends to foul. But at the same time, 
I don't think you can just look at and say, well, you know, the reason that every single SEC team is averaging 19.7 or more free throws per game is because they're all bad defensive teams. That's simply not true. If you watch the games, <laughs> they're, they're not all bad defensive teams. Now, on the flip side, as I said, and as I mentioned in this tweet, and I'll include it in the show notes for anyone that hasn't seen it, I will include this in there. Um, the SEC is an attacking conference. Like, it's not a conference that's just going to rely on its three-point shooting because I think heading into the weekend, too, the SEC was 29th out of 32 conferences in three-point percentage. So you're going to have teams that take more shots inside of the perimeter, which could lead to more contact, which could lead to more fouls. So you have to remember that. It's it's not as black and white as just saying, okay, well, all of these foul calls must just be the wrong call. I don't. That's not true, and that's not what I'm, I'm suggesting here uh, because it's simply not the case. But what I am suggesting is that um, it seems to me that there are some glaring differences in how the SEC is officiated and how some of these other conferences are officiating in terms of how they play. Um, and so it's it's a mix of several things. Uh, and I think, again, going back to how we started this conversation, the inconsistency with what is and isn't a foul is the bigger problem here. You know, get, how many of these free throws that have been taken uh, in these games, if everyone's averaging pretty much 20 or more per game, how many of them are coming off of just getting into the bonus or double bonus? Uh, how many are coming off of you know shot attempt type fouls, uh, where you're, you know you're getting two shots off of an attempt at the rim, uh, you get a foul call, you're going to the line. Uh, that's an interesting stat, and that's one that I probably you know I, I don't know how you look that up. There's probably someone out there who could do a really good job of finding that, uh, but uh, that's what I'm intrigued by because that would probably tell a lot more too uh, about where things are when we look at just those stats. But as I said, the SEC has some of the best talent in college basketball. And if we look at it from that perspective, you know, our free throw shooting contests, what people want to see. Because for a lot we've seen here recently, a lot of these games have felt like that they are free throw shooting contests. I think that's where the issue comes in for people in terms of watchability, uh, game flow. It's our free throw contest, you know, free throw shooting contest, what people want to see. And how does it, someone else brought this up, how is it preparing teams for the NCAA tournament? Uh, I think that's a fascinating one to think about too. And and that's what I'm saying. There's so many different layers to this that I'm not going to sit here and say, because these free throw numbers are what they are, it automatically means that all of them are unwarranted and all of them have no business being called. That's not the case. And we'll get into more of that uh, coming up right here on the Locked On SEC podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. To continue with the uh, state of SEC basketball officiating discussion, um, I don't want to be having this discussion any more than anyone else does, but I also think it's one that's important. Um, And I think that's what you have to keep in mind. It's all about what leads up to some of these things that we see and some of these calls that are made. It's about getting it right, and I think and I think that's where the basis of all of this is. It's consistency. Um, that's what people want is consistency, and I know fans don't always want that. Sometimes, look, fans are biased. We know that. If you're listening to this, don't lie. You, you're biased too. I was biased, you know, as a fan of different teams. Um, it, it's natural as a sports fan. There's going to be bias, uh, but at the same time, if you take a step back and sort of look at it, uh, I think it's easy to understand that, you know, sometimes you just have to look at it with the the neutral glasses on. Uh, and again, to go back to everyone saying, you know, officiating is bad in, around college basketball. It happens everywhere. That doesn't make it any better. <laughs> That's simply accepting it for what it is rather than pointing out what is an obvious need for improvement. 
And I think that's where I'm at with this. Uh, And I think that's where a lot of other people are at with it. To say that anyone should just accept that officiating is terrible and stop complaining about it and that it is what it is, that is part of the problem. Um, You know, coaches are expected to improve their teams if they want to keep their jobs. Players are expected to improve if they want to stay on the court, be a, be a factor in the rotation, um, all these other things that go with it. Uh, I think the SEC should also have the same expectation of improving in order to continue to move forward as a basketball conference. Uh, there are going to be missed calls, but I think expecting improvement should never be considered complaining or unreasonable criticism. Um, And I'm not someone who's going to call for a person to lose his job. This problem is about more than just one person. I'm also not a conspiracy theorist. I don't think that someone, you know, certain teams are getting this or that. I just don't think that's how it works. Um, I'm just someone who is heavily invested in SEC basketball. And I think so are a lot of fans at the 14 schools around the conference. And, you know, just like with anything in life, when there's a problem, you try to find a solution And I just hope that the SEC understands that at this point, there is a problem. And it's not one that's necessarily fun to admit. But I think a lot of people would tell you that in some of these cases, this is becoming too much of a a common theme. And because of that, uh, I think it's something that needs to be addressed. Uh, I don't expect it to be addressed right now. Maybe after the season, going into the next season, that's fine. But if you're trying to move forward as a basketball conference, which the SEC has done a really good job of in recent years, You have to try to do it in all areas, and I think this is one of those areas to where if you're having so many people buying into the notion that that games are unwatchable and that they become free throw contests, and when you look at the stats, they back up those claims, um, you have to look at this stuff, and you have to look at it a bit deeper because there is no perfect solution in this scenario, and there is no one right answer or wrong answer. It's not simply just bad officiating every single game. It's just... It's becoming more of a problem, and it's affecting how the game is played and how the product is presented as a whole. And I think because of that, um, we've reached a point where it kind of is sort of a a breaking point for the SEC, and hopefully uh, there are some ways that uh, the conference can move forward uh, in terms of figuring out some of the issues here to make, you know, maybe put SEC teams in a position to where we're not having these conversations, uh, where we're focusing more on, okay, the teams on the court, the actual basketball that's being played, rather than coming out of some of these games and the, the storyline being, well, did you see what happened with this call or that call? Um, and, and I know it happens everywhere, but I don't think that's a reason just to accept it for what it is. Uh, I think improvement is uh, always something that, that is welcome, and uh, I think it should be welcome in this scenario. But uh, that'll wrap up this episode of Locked on SEC Podcast. Be sure to subscribe. Head over to any podcast app you use. Just search for Locked on SEC. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter at the blank level. If you have any comments on this entire discussion, like I said, I, I never thought we'd, we'd spend two segments of a show talking about SEC officiating, something that, that's been a hot topic and a lot of people have been talking about it. So if you have your own comments, uh, what are some of the things that, that you thought, you know, that, that we discussed here on this show um, that you agree with? What are some of the things that I left out? Because there's no way I dressed all of it, and I'm not trying to. I, I'm just sort of giving you my perspective as someone who watches all of these games. Uh, what I'm seeing and I think probably there are a lot of other people who are seeing the same things maybe just in the own game the only in the games they watch um so I'm just I'm trying to have a discussion I'm not trying to blast the SEC uh I'm not trying to be someone that calls for all these guys to lose their job that's just that's ludicrous that's ridiculous and and that's not that's not going to fix anything it's more of how 
you take a deeper look at it, you decide where you go from here, how do you improve, uh, and I think that's going to be the big next step for the SEC. So uh, you can find me on Twitter at Deep Lake Level, and uh, I'll talk to you guys next time here on the Locked On SEC Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.